All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's going to be in chapter 2 this morning. If you're using one of blue chair Bibles, it's on page 986. It doesn't just matter what you say, it matters how you say it. How are you doing? I'm fine. How many ways can we understand that sentence? Depends if they're looking at you with daggers in their eyes, or maybe they are just making a statement about how good-looking they think they are. Is the person fine? Again, it matters how it was said. What is the body language? What tone are they using? Are they making eye contact or looking away? This short little sentence reveals a general truth that how you speak and how you communicate matters. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And that's at the center of our text today. Paul is going to talk about not so much what he said, but how he said it, how he spoke, and how he lived his life as he spread the gospel to the Thessalonian church. As he defends his ministry, and and let me say, as, as you look at this text, there are specific applications to pastors, to missionaries, to elders and leaders in a church, but there are also some more general applications for all of us. And that's where I want to focus this morning. How do we talk about Jesus with others? How do we share the gospel? And understanding that how we speak and how we live as we speak is, is a part of the content, is a part of what we say. So as we go through this text, I want you to see that all of these aspects are how do we speak? How do we communicate? How do we share the gospel and talk about Jesus? It'll be a little different format, as you can see from the outline in your bulletin. We're not going to have a big idea. It's sort of built in there of declaring faithfully and then describing what that looks like. Also, I'm going to do more of application within each point and not have a big application thing at the end. But let's look again. If you're following along in your outline, you're going to see this beginning of a sentence. To faithfully declare the gospel, we speak dot, dot, dot. And the first way we speak, again, point one in your outline, your bulletin, is boldly, even in conflict. Let's look at verses one and two of 1 Thessalonians chapter two. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
Now, as we begin to look at this, and this, as some have called it, Paul's defense of his ministry, I want to point out of sort of the criticisms that lie behind the text. There's a lot of debate, and if you want to know more about this, uh, you can come talk to me later about this, but we don't know of a specific criticism against Paul. We also don't know if it was necessarily coming from the outside community of Thessalonica or if it was coming from within the church. Both could be true, obviously, at the same time. But we know there are certain things, like why did Paul leave so quickly? There could be a criticism from that. But there are also, and we know this from other writings in history, there are also general critiques of what you might call a traveling teacher at that time. So let's look at those as we begin here in verses 1 to 2. And I think it's important that Paul starts off with talking about the quality of his ministry. Look at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul begins with a statement of confidence that what he did was worth it even though he experienced what he experienced, and we'll get to that in a second. But because these Thessalonians had turned from idols to worship and serve the true and living God, anything that happened after that was worth it. Because the gospel was spread, because new believers were converted, he could look back and say, this was worth it. It reminds me of one of my favorite Verses from 1 Corinthians 15. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Simply put, when you serve God in the ways that he has called you, it is always worth it. But that does not mean it is always easy. And that's what Paul gets into in verse 2. Paul and his team were able to speak boldly, even though there was much conflict and they had negative past experiences. So you see a reference to that they'd been shamefully treated at Philippi. You can find that story in Acts chapter 16 but then also recognizing the current, or at least when he was there, the current hostility, you see, in the midst of much conflict. But even though he had those experiences, even though he had the bad experience at Philippi, and even though the current situation in which he found himself in Thessalonica was one of hostility and rioting, he still spoke with boldness. Because it was not a boldness that came from his skill or his ideas about himself, but look at the text. We had boldness in our God. Because God is our God, because we belong to him and our hope is found in him, we can speak with boldness no matter what experiences we've had in the past or in the midst of any hardship in the current circumstances. There is Paul's beginning with this idea that because I trusted my God, 
I can still speak. I will not be silenced by my circumstances or my past experiences. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see ourselves in there that either current hardship or negative past experiences, whatever that looks like, too quickly silences us from speaking to others about Jesus. But because our boldness is found in God and not ourselves, we can speak boldly. To declare to you the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ to save sinners. So in any circumstance, we can speak with boldness. Now because of our current culture, I feel like one note needs to be said about boldness. Boldness is not the same thing as being obnoxious. Do not equate boldness with harshness. Bold does not mean undisciplined and chaotic. And bold rarely means loudly. In fact, sometimes the boldest thing to do is to keep your cool. The boldest thing to do is is quietly and calmly speak the truth without getting caught in a fight. Friends, we are called to speak boldly even when there are negative consequences. But let's not have the negative consequence be us acting as a jerk. We boldly speak because we are God's workers sharing God's word so that people can become God's people. Let's go on to the next one in verses 3 and 4. Again, describing how he spoke. And we're going to see here, not to deceive, but to please God. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's a neat back-and-forth relationship between verses 3 and 4. So 3 says what he doesn't do, and 4 says what he then does. So Paul describes, if you notice in verse 3, what he did not do. The gospel that he preached did not come from error, but rather, verse 4, it was entrusted to him by God. The source was not a lack of truth. The source was God himself. Nor did it come from impurity or impure motives. It didn't come out of his own sinful desires. Rather, the motivation for his work was pleasing the Lord. And it didn't come from attempts to deceive, but the work is done before a God who tests our hearts. Paul and his team presented the truth. They didn't lie to convert people. They didn't preach so they could get what they wanted. And they didn't preach to please man, but to please God. The Thessalonians can trust the message because they can trust the messengers. They were not just telling people what they wanted to hear, like some running for political office. They were not trying to fulfill their old needs like a cult leader who just so happens to discover that polygamy is a thing. 
And to be honest, it's not trying to do a bait and switch. It's not the car salesman who says, what do I need to tell you to get you to buy this car? What do I need to tell you to get you to buy this salvation? Our motivation is not in pleasing others. It's not in fulfilling our sinful desires. It is pleasing the Lord, and we don't have to resort to deceptive tactics. Don't be deceived. God tests your heart because he's the one who has entrusted you with the gospel. And we need to check our hearts of why are we doing this? Are we doing this for his glory or for our own? Next one we find in verse 5 and 6. Not with flattery or for greed. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 together. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. How do you get somebody to do something? How do you win friends and influence people? You tell them how great they are. We see this when we talk about Jesus, of we only talk about the benefits. And we only talk about how much God loves us. And we leave out talk of repentance and sin and sanctification. There is a very strong temptation to just tell people what they want to hear. And maybe we believe this lie because we've seen it work. You can gather a crowd with flattery. You can get a group of people together to like you if you tell them how great they are. But that's not what Paul did. He avoided that easy temptation. He avoided preaching to the choir because the power of the gospel is not found in words of flattery. And in the context of verse 5, Paul takes a quick step from using flattery to then being motivated by greed. Now this might feel a little jarring because we don't normally put those together. But one of the general complaints of itinerant teachers at that time in the world's history there was a strong connection seen in that culture between flattery and greed. Again, it makes sense. If you flatter someone, they're more likely to give you money. We have writers like Plutarch and Dio Chrysostom who wrote, quote, condemn those rhetoricians who are motivated simply by financial gain. The picture is of a traveling salesman of ideas who would go to town and he'd flatter you, tell you what you wanted, tell you all his great ideas, and then ask you for money. Again, we see the power of flattery in our world. We see the power of flattery in the social media world, and we see the power of greed in the prosperity gospel world. But for all these clear examples of what's going on out there, 
we must guard our own hearts in using flattery and being motivated by greed. And we avoid these things. How do we avoid using flattery and being motivated by greed? We avoid these things by not seeking our worth in the glory from people. Look at verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. When we use flattery and the pragmatism that goes along with it, when we're motivated by greed, what are we doing? We're not trusting God. We're not trusting God to provide, and we're not trusting in God's power to save sinners. When we use flattery, when we're motivated by greed, we are trusting ourselves and our own performance. And we are seeking glory for ourselves because if we use flattery and greed, then we did build it. And that's a form of seeking our own glory, of being able to say, I did that. But when we don't use flattery, when we're not motivated by greed, we have to admit God built this house. And there is a freedom in pursuing God's glory and not pursuing our own. There is a freedom and a satisfaction that comes when we trust God to work and where we are merely faithful messengers of his. Let's go to the next description of how we communicate the gospel. How do we declare? The next one is like a mom. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Here, Paul compares himself to a nursing mother. It's one of the few times Paul uses a feminine metaphor to talk about himself. And using this general picture, this general truth about moms, he says we were gentle and affectionately desirous of you. There is a care and a warmness, and a love that Paul is expressing to the Thessalonians. Now, I want to note that this is not how women share the gospel, and when we get later to like a dad, that's how men do it. No, you're both to do both things. Just because we're using general truths about moms and dads. Let me remind you, gentle is a part of the elder qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I would argue a true sign of strength is the ability to be gentle. But again, the picture is using this picture 
of a young mom with young kids. The picture that came to my mind is, is the kid who falls off their bike, scrapes their knee. The dad approaches said child to help and to apply band-aids. And what does the kid do? Runs right past the dad to mom. That's the picture. How does it relate to us? We must be motivated by love and care when we share Jesus with others. It's not a motivation to simply win an argument. We share the good news of Jesus Christ out of love. And we not only speak in a way of love, but there is a building of relationship and true care. Look, look at verse 8. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. There is an encompassing relational care that is pictured here. There is a call for us to love others, that any speaking about the truth of Jesus must be accompanied with love. Can I mention briefly an idol that sneaks in? Do we share the gospel so that there's more of us here on Sunday morning? Or do we share the gospel because we generally, genuinely love and care about the other person? It's a good heart question. And again, I hope you're seeing this in this list of, of describing how we share with others. That there are heart questions. What motivates me? Why do I do what I do? Why do I not do what I know I should do? You know, for those of you in our, in our small groups, one of, the, one of the points of that is to go through each of these and say, which, which one specifically do I need to change and grow? And to be real with ourselves as, as we use this to evaluate how we live and how we speak. And this is a powerful one of loving others like a mom loves her small children. Sharing not so we'll be seen as right. Sharing not so we can have more numbers. But sharing out of love for others. This moves us to the next one, verses 9 and 10. We declare the gospel with hard work and integrity. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. For you remember brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now the background for verse 9, and I'm not going to, I'm going to give you ways to look this up more later if you have more questions, was how Paul ran 
sort of what we might call the business side of his mission. Paul's pattern was not to take money from the people he was currently evangelizing. Now we know from Philippians 4.16 that the Philippian church, which was mentioned here in in verse 2, we know from 4.16 of, of the book of Philippians that the Philippian church sent support to Paul while he was in Thessalonica. And so the pattern was he would not demand money from the current city he was in, but having just been in Philippi, they sent him and supported his needs. And we see that in verse 6 where he said, I could have made demands as an apostle of Christ. And we know from, if you want to know a lot more about this, read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he intentionally did not claim what was due him as an apostle. And he makes that point in 1 Corinthians 9, references it here in verse 6, that he could have said, you need to cover me. But he chose not to. He chose not to be a burden to this new group of believers. Again, a lot of Paul's work was going where the gospel had not yet been. And so in his mind... And again, to avoid the critiques of greed that were common in that time, he chose to be a tent maker and to only accept money from previous places that he had been. But I want us to see, more generally for us, that there is hard work and the ability to work hard that supports the words that we speak. To labor and toil, to not be a burden to those we are trying to seek for the gospel. But more importantly and more broadly, we see verse 10. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. We are called to live lives of personal holiness, personal righteousness, to the point of being blameless. And that living out the commands of God, living out a life that is pleasing to God, is a part of our witness. In fact, it's interesting, he calls, he says to them, you are Witnesses. This is part, if you've seen it throughout our text today, in verses 1, 2, 5, 9, and then 11, we'll get to in a little bit, all reference what they have seen and what they already know. Paul is confident that he has lived a life of integrity, that he can say, you know how we lived among you. And that how we lived did not endanger the gospel witness. If we are going to be God's messengers, we must act like it. We must not allow our lack of holiness to discredit the gospel. How you live reflects on what people think of Jesus. 
And I think we need to understand that seriously. You know, it's been said before that Christians are, for some people, the only Bible they will ever see. (laughs) And that they read our lives as a reflection of what we say we believe. And if we're not living lives of righteousness and holiness, we're not only ruining our reputation, we're ruining the reputation of Jesus. You cannot be a good witness for Jesus without supporting your words with holiness, righteousness, and living a blameless life. I heard a story recently from a missionary that helps to illustrate this point. This story happened in Europe among some of the immigrant Muslim populations. And they were attempting to witness to this person about Jesus, and and this guy was not having any of it. But you know what caused there to be a break in his armor? What caused his defensefulness to come down was he found out that a Christian cleaned his toilet. And the fact that a Christian would clean a toilet and would on top of that clean the toilet of a Muslim created a bridge for the gospel. When we serve, when we work hard, when we live lives of integrity, God uses those to create a bridge for the good news. Let's go on to the last one this morning. Earlier we saw like a mom, here we see like a dad, verses 11 and 12. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Like before, using general truths about a mom, here he is using general truths about a good dad. Like a good father, Paul exhorted, encouraged, and charged the Thessalonians. Taking those three verbs together, the idea is of a father who tells the child what they need to hear. It is meant to evoke feelings both of care yet firmness, of speaking the truth that the child needs to hear. We have an example from the Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria, who around this time, and building both upon the culture of that day and what we call the Old Testament, he wrote this, on the most essential questions of what to choose and avoid, namely to choose virtue, and avoid vices and the activities to which they lead. This was to Philo and others at that time the job of the dad or the primary job of the dad. That just as your father was meant to help you know how to live your life, decisions to make, choosing virtue over vice, Paul says, I was this to you. I told you the truth that you needed to hear. 
Again, it reminds us of Ephesians 4.15, where it speaks of speaking the truth in love. And what did they need to hear? What did they need to know about following Jesus? We exhorted, encouraged, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Live your life in a way that brings honor to God and all that he has done for you. Live your life in a way that reflects that you know that God has called you to salvation and that you are now his citizen. Look at the end of verse 12. Who calls you into his own kingdom. This is a common way in the Bible we see Christians talked about, that they belong to God's kingdom. God is their king. Therefore, we need to live out his rules and live in a way that reflects his kingship. But we also live in a way that brings honor to God, recognizing that when God saves us, he saves us to a future glory, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There is a future hope that believers in Jesus have. This is our God who saves us, who forgives us, who has prepared eternal life for us. And the truth we need to hear is live your life worthy of that God. This is the love that Paul shows to the Thessalonians. Not necessarily telling them what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. We do the same thing as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We tell people the good news that they need to hear. We don't hide the difficult parts. We don't hide that putting your faith in Jesus means living a life under his kingship. We don't sort of hide the truth that a part of being a believer in Jesus is repenting of sin and admitting that you are a sinner. But we lovingly and boldly share the truth that people need to hear. Friends, as we close this morning, It'd be easy to be overwhelmed by all the different ways that we are to live as messengers of Jesus' gospel this morning. But I want to challenge you in your small groups or in your own time of devotion. How do I speak? Do I need to speak with more boldness? Do I need to speak with more love and affection? Am I living a life of integrity and holiness that supports what God is doing? 
Am I relying on flattery lies to talk to people about Jesus or am I using the truth? And am I living and speaking not for my own glory or the glory that comes from other people, but the glory of God? Friends, this ministry was not just for missionaries like Paul. This ministry is for all of us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ who died and rose again so that sinners who repent and believe can be forgiven, reconciled to God, and have the hope of eternal life. And we are called to communicate this truth with love. We are called to communicate this truth in the good times and the bad times. And we are to do so while living lives of integrity and holiness for God's glory alone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that we would not only care about what we say, but we would take care to how we speak, how we share the good news of Jesus Christ that we would be motivated out of love for you to carry the gospel you've entrusted to us as your people, as your messengers, that we would do so with love and truth and integrity. God, give us boldness to reach out to those who apart from you are perishing and to offer them salvation and eternal life, beginning a life of following Jesus as King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.